Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. And again, as normal, we have another stellar guest. Uh, I, I was honored to be a guest on his show, uh, which we're going to talk a lot about today because the objective when I, ha- when I reciprocate this is to turn the spotlight on my guest. Um, as a guest on a show, they talk about my life and my journey and, and my struggles. And now it's time to kind of flip the switch. And today we're going to talk to Nathan Coy. He's the host of the Wartime Leadership Podcast. And I was just talking to him before we came on the air. Uh, Nathan's show hasn't been around that long. Uh, I feel like mine is new, Nathan, at a year and a half. Uh, yours is much shorter. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was stunned. I thought you did an awesome job. I, I did not feel like um, that you're kind of new to the podcasting world. But anyway, we'll get to all this and more topics. Uh, I have a lot of really good questions to ask you. Uh, but anyway, thank you for joining the show, and um, I appreciate uh, you coming on board tonight. Man, Jeff, I am I am so excited. Uh, yes, we are new to the podcasting world. Uh, I'm on just released episode six, and we're getting <laughs> we're getting ready to to have our two month here in a couple of weeks, and it's just kind of surreal the the type of guests that we've been able to have on your, yourself. Uh, and and so many individuals that have kind of come around to to grab onto us and and kind of help us along the route is just absolutely amazing. It really is like a big family. Yeah, and I I will tell you, you know, I was kind of thrust into this uh, mental health substance abuse addiction arena like five years ago, and the the, the story is as you get older. I'm older than you. I'm 56, and you don't have to tell me how old you are, but I know you're younger than me. Uh, the, the uh, story is as you get older, your, your circle of friends start to shrink, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not in this world, man. I mean, my, my friends are expanding and I add you to that list. And it's like, I'm adding great people to my life every day. And I can't imagine being an old person sitting on my couch with three friends, you know, and, and to me, that would be, that would be frustrating. And I understand that as you get older, people die around you and all mm-hmm. that, but I think it's very important to try to keep expanding your, 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 your base of humans, your, your well of great people you can go to in time of need. And, um, so again, I, 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 um, I think the podcast world has really opened my eyes to the type of people that are out there. And what's great is to share stories. Mm -hmm. And you and I sat there for an hour and we talked about a lot of stuff in my life, but I'm really intrigued in how you came up with wartime leadership. Um, you know, the spiritual resiliency term that you hang your hat on that you really, uh, tried to pin down from me, I thought was really interesting because I've never had anyone talk about spiritual resiliency. Well, um, you know, it's an, it's an interesting term and, and I'd love to have you, if you want to jump onto that right now, I'd love to have you talk about what does that mean to you? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, so I come from, from the military. I'm, I'm active duty. I've been active duty for almost 18 years now. And thank you for your service. I appreciate the support. Um, one thing that we always talk about is resiliency, but we talk about it from a perspective of CAF, the, the comprehensive airman fitness. And you mm-hmm. look at it in social, mental, emotional, and then, well, there's physical and there's spiritual in there. Mm-hmm. We, we tell everyone that you must be physically resilient you have to be mentally resilient we, we we tell you how to we we tell you how to do that that's in exercising that's in walking around that's that's going and seeing something that's hanging out with your family but when it comes to the spiritual resiliency we're really really bad about explaining what that looks like 
And, mm. and so that's kind of where all of this has come from is how, how are we spiritually resilient? How are we supposed to be that? Uh, is it, is right. it found in God? Is it found in nature? Is it? And so that's really the journey that I've taken is just to kind of identify what it looks like in different people's lives because it looks different. We try to cookie cutter it, right? We, we try to, right. we try to put a face on it and, and it's not that simple. It's, it's, it can be found in a lot of different places and in a lot of different ways to, to different people. So, so I don't so try to push what, that on anyone. Right. What, what does spirituality mean to you? So, so for me personally, in my personal right. life, it is found in scripture. It is, it is mm-hmm. found in God. It's found in a relationship with Jesus. Uh, that, mm-hmm. That's where it's found for me. It's, it's found mm-hmm. in, in that, that personal relationship. To me, healing happens in the context of relationship. And that's mm-hmm. really, really important because I need to be able to share that relationship with other people as well as my God. So it, it's as much right. here as much as it is here. Hmm. Have you always had that, that definition of spirituality your whole life? Or were you at a point in your life where you were questioning things and then something happened and you became more, I guess, more of a believer? Well, so I, I was raised Christian. I was, I was raised in a, in a very strong, devout Christian environment. Uh, we, we, we traveled that route. I, I went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It was very structured mm-hmm. in, in how that was. And, and in the eighties and nineties, I'm 42 years old. Right. So I've, I've got my parents who, you know, they're now in their seventies. Um, right. they, it was a very structured, very, you know, you wore your Sunday clothes, you, you, you the tie, the jacket. Um, and, and I was good all the way up through college. So I started college at the university of central Oklahoma and immediately was, was, was drawn into Christian organizations, but I very quickly ran away from it. Very, hmm. very quickly went on my own journey. Right. What turned you off about that? It, you know, I, I think I found that there was a lot of people in this world in, in the Christian sphere that were very, mm-hmm. you know, living with their thumb on me. Mm. And, and it was very, it, it turned me off in so many different ways. Yeah. And, and I didn't want that in my life. You know, I had a good structure. Mm-hmm. I had what I had. But, but as I started to see other people and, and the way other Christians were living, it, it very much pushed me away and pushed me more towards mm. a bottle. Right. So I was, I was a heavy drinker yeah. throughout college. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. Oh, that's yeah. why we, we had talked such a about good, it on your show. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we yep. had a great talk about that, but, but now you get to hear yep. my side. I, I fell into the bottle yeah. really, really bad. Um, hmm. uh, I was not living the way that I, I needed to. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't uh, emotionally, physically, mentally. It wasn't, it wasn't healthy, but for me, it was a release. It was a way mm-hmm. to exit out of the world that I was living in uh, and to kind of run away to something that I, I sought that momentary glimpse of fun, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it was. It was fun. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a blast. Right. I, I had a great time uh, slowly killing myself. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I did, I did uh, turn to drugs for a little bit, but it was, it was very mm-hmm. momentary. It wasn't, wasn't a very long time at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I didn't find any joy in that at all. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, then I, I left college kind of had a, a couple of failed businesses that I just, I didn't have my heart in it. 
it wasn't right it wasn't something that i found passionate and passionate in mm -hmm. so during during the uh late 90s early 2000s of course the economy kind of took a little bit of a tank and yep. and was trying to find new and, and active stuff to to do to to fill the time in the void i mean i 23 years old i finally decided i i ran to an air force recruiter my brother was was huh. currently serving my dad had served in the air force uh, okay. my dad had served in vietnam my brother during mm -hmm. iraq so i thought well i'll go in i'll do four years call it good get my get my feet under me and and i'll be done with it uh Thought, thought everything was going to be great, was going to be was going to be good. I was 24 years old, going through basic training, getting yelled at by somebody who was uh, about my same age, maybe a little bit older than me. Uh, I thought, well, I needed structure, so here it is. Here's my structure that I needed. Um, right. And now here I am, 18 years later, and through that journey, you know, I, I met my wife on on the little awesome. bitty island of Guam. You know, there in the South mm, Pacific. Sure. Uh, awesome. she kind of helped, she kind of helped to bring me back to the spiritual side. I was still not living spiritually. I, I wasn't, I wasn't right. fulfilling what I needed to in that aspect, but, uh, right. and she was kind of living that, that mentor side for a long time with me. Uh, she mm -hmm. was the spiritual leader of the house. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's not the way it's, it's intended to be. That's, that shouldn't be the way it is. I am the head of the house. I should be the leader in all aspects in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. So, so now how, how do you define, how do you define leadership? I guess uh, what, what's, what are the, like the main qualities or traits in leadership? It's so subjective of a word. It really is because there's, there's different, you have to be a leader at different points in your, your journey. So really it's, it's mm -hmm. a consistent growing process. Uh, mm -hmm. for me, I have had to learn how to pull back. So I'll give you an example. Seven years ago, I went to basic military training, but this time I went as an instructor. Okay. So people who knew me before being an instructor would tell you that I was very timid. I was, I was, I was a pushover. You, you could get away with stuff with me and it'd be like, Oh, okay. You know, gotcha. Um, right. You know, it, it I wasn't strong. Uh, right. at, at basic military training, as a military training instructor, you have to be. <laughs> I was going to say, you, if you're timid, you're going to get your lunch. Oh, yeah. You. You're going to get eaten alive. Because those guys are going to push you if they can, you know. Absolutely. And they did. Yeah. They did. They, yeah. But but I, I looked at it as an opportunity. You know, and In fact, I remember when, when I got that call that I had been selected for the job, I called up mm. my wife, Lena, and I said, hey, listen, babe, um, you know that one job that I didn't want to have? And she was like, <laughs> yeah, it. be a drill instructor. I said, yeah, yep. We're moving to San Antonio. Like I, I was living the life. I was in Andrews Air Force Base, Maryland. I was working Air Force One. Like I had a, a great job. I was doing everything I wanted cool. to do. And then now I'm going to go be this guy. So that's, that's where that spirituality and that leadership really turned for me um, mm -hmm. for the better. Because I looked at it as an opportunity. Yeah, I was thinking to myself as you were defining it that leadership for me is more about showing by example versus telling. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the great leaders in my life were always the ones that, you know, had walked the walk, talked the talk, and not someone that just 
is telling you that they know more than you, but they really don't have any. It's like I use the story about the my business uh, professor in in high in college, very just awesome guy. But I always wondered, you know, as I got older and got out and started building up my investment company, why isn't this guy out in the real world? I mean, he he's a teacher. He's telling all these kids how to run these businesses, but if he was that good, I, and I'm not being discriminating, I'm not being disparaging to, you know, educators that, that are sacrificing capitalism to go into helping kids learn about business. I think that's awesome. But I always wondered, why isn't this guy out there actually doing what he's telling us to do? Is it because he can't? Mm-hmm. So I, again, I just kind of always question leadership to me was the ones that were doing it. So like podcasts, for example, I just immersed myself when I was two months into it, like you were, I just, found interesting people. And I watched their podcasts. Mm-hmm. They, they were, I didn't go get somebody's book on how to do a podcast because I don't even know if that person knows much about podcasting. Mm-hmm. He's, he sell, but I went to podcasts and just watched and took notes and watched and, you know, people like Joe Rogan who are the, you know, the top of the list there. And then it wasn't even trying to listen to content. It was what's his style. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and then I would listen to somebody else. It's got a whole different style. And I thought, okay, what's my style. And, and so to me, leadership is about showing is about showing an, an example. So like when you had me on the show, I talked about with my boys when my son died, I told the boys, you know, I wanted to show them what it was like to live an intentional life, mm-hmm. not tell them. And I think as a dad and you are as well, you know, we can tell our kids don't do drugs, don't don't smoke, don't vape, don't do all these things. Or we can show them how to live an inspired life by not doing drugs, by not stealing, by not drinking. So that's, that's the leadership to me. And I think that's kind of echoing how you were describing as well. But then you, you have this really good knack of sprinkling in this, this spirituality angle of it, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Because I think on the show, we talked about my, my kind of belief structure. Um, I'm like religiously homeless. It's like, I don't, I don't really have any place to hang my hat because I don't really know much about what happens when I'm not here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I certainly want to believe all the things that people tell me, but I'm a little bit more of a skeptic and I'm a little bit more of a pragmatic person. So to me, uh, the spirituality thing is really more internalized. It's not, it's not, you know, from the heavens or anything, Mm -hmm. but again, you and I both are like, we're doing the same thing, but a little bit different definitions on how we just, how we, um, you know, describe our, our, our terms in our lives, but also our belief structure. I think, Mm -hmm. and in my book, I wrote about this is I, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's how you behave, you know, and, and two people that don't necessarily subscribe to the same belief structure when it comes to say, you know, um, um, uh, spirituality, however you want to define that can still be good humans, Mm -hmm. you know, just because you think differently than somebody else for your own reasons, doesn't prohibit you from being a good person. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's just kind of common sense. And, and with that, the, the way that I kind of went about it was and, and what transition stuff back for me was, you know, my my displeasure of how people were treating me, even as a Christian going through life. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I quickly found out is that if I'm the hands and feet of Christ, if I if I do the things like Christ, you know, uh, you look in the Bible all through it and you will see different areas where Jesus is hanging out with the people he quote, shouldn't be hanging out with mm-hmm. it, it, sure. it, the bad people, the robbers, the, the thieves, right. he's actually hanging right. out with people like that because he wants to, mm-hmm. to, he wants to be that example. And that's, 
Mm-hmm. What I realized is that these are what these people aren't doing, and that's what I need to be right. doing. So if I can be the hands and feet, then I can actually show people, right, mm-hmm. how it's supposed to be. But I don't persecute people. I don't come to mm-hmm. somebody who believes differently than me. And I think you saw that on the show when you said Absolutely. when you came across and you said I, I'm agnostic, and I was like, right. It it just created more of a conversation where I could understand Absolutely. a little bit better. Right. And I think that's the beauty of conversation and engagement and, and, uh, having an open mind. I, I know, I know so many people that are so fixated in, in a belief structure and they're so convinced that they are right. And I'm not talking just religion. I'm talking, you know, with, um, politics or whatever, uh, you know, whatever thing they're hanging their hat on today. And it's just hard to have a dialogue with these people. And it doesn't really even matter what, what they're kind of, standing for. It's just the way they're presenting it is very condescending. And, you know, I I used to, I used to fall for the trap, Nathan, where I would get into arguments, you know, just be lured in. Someone would say, well, what do you think about? And I'm like, Mm. I don't, (laughs) and it's whatever I do think about it. I don't want to talk about it because, because unless you are open, like you and I can have a really good conversation on something, you know, I mean, if we were off the podcasting and we were just sitting around having cigars, having a really good deep talk, we could get into some pretty controversial topics and and probably walk away from it. Both of us being smarter, you know, not both of us being dumber. Mm-hmm. And the problem with today is you get a couple people to talk about something and everyone walks away angry and dumber. Mm-hmm. And, and you know? for, for you and me though, Jeff, it's the simple fact that we have a relationship now going mm-hmm. from recording from my podcast where we talked for right. about 30 minutes beforehand to now over to your podcast where we're still continuing right. the conversation. That's where that relationship comes in because through relationship, you can talk, you can have those conversations right. where we disagree a little bit more than when we're just getting to know each other. So I had a question. I really wanted to spring this on you. This is a really good time. Uh, good time in the podcast to do this. So mental health is a really big thing for, for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know what, what we're doing here at living undeterred, but where do you think people are struggling with their mental health and, and what's your thoughts on how we can move the needle and to improve people's lives? I mean, what, what coping mechanisms can people implement? Uh, what are strategies? And I, so it's a twofold question. Why are we so miserable in the most abundant times in human history, in the most abundant country ever? And so the why, but then how do we fix this problem? How do we correct this train from going off the cliff? And that's really where it's heading. If you look at the statistics with mental health, they are just abysmal. So in, in the military side, I can come at it from this way. We, we have gotten really, really good at identifying help. There's a lot of people who are departing now who were the older heads, if you will, that looked at mm-hmm. it in the sense of it's going to ruin your career. It's the stigma mm-hmm. of it's going to ruin your career. But we're moving away from that to where people are starting to seek help in other ways, in other aspects. I can see it. I can see in the service. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I think, I think if you came in to your drill instructor or, or and you said, Hey, I've, I've got this mental health issue. Certainly, you know, a, a police officer, uh, a teacher, you know, you can see the stigma, but you're right. I think, I think we're moving in the direction where, uh, I think it's pretty acceptable that we all have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's immune to it. Well, what we've actually done is we've actually embedded individuals, trained counselors into our 
um, into our organizations where they can see and be able to hear. So they're actually embedded with organizations that are, they, they see more action. They see more stuff happening. They can actually mm -hmm. go into, and they can recognize when people are hurting, when people are going through mm. stuff and be able to confront it. Now these aren't military health professionals, but they are civilian side. So yeah. there, there's different avenues. And, and that's why I love the chaplain corps. I love mm -hmm. the chaplain corps within the military because it's not a religious thing. It's a counseling mm -hmm. thing and they can actually mm -hmm. help people when they come to them. But it's, it's the, it's individuals realizing that they can take a step forward without falling down. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the statistics, I think it's 22 veterans a day, take their lives mm -hmm. and, or take their life. And that's just 22 too many. And I don't know much about your, your side of the fence. I've never been in the service. Uh, I can't think of a relative that has been, my dad tried to get in, but he couldn't get by the physical cause he had some issues, um, with some things he just couldn't get into. He wanted to go in the air force actually, but what's that? I can give you the name of four gentlemen that I knew personally that took their own lives. Man. Man. That were my brothers. See, that were people that I dealt with a lot that, that I saw every single day. Um, and, and it all happened at a moment of change in their life. When they got out right away, or was it a personal change later down the road, like losing a marriage or a business or uh, I'll give you a, for instance. So we had worked yeah. a, we had worked an aircraft, a situation in a faraway land. Uh, mm -hmm. and we had, we, we all were dealing with what happened in different ways. You know, we, we were actually down sure. on the ground clearing up remains doing doing what we needed to do to be able to put it away and we all dealt with it in different ways so i came home i had my wife right i came home i had my right. wife to talk to i i had her to bear my burden you know mm. uh spiritually we you know it, it was something where i could i could pray and i could just mm -hmm. ask the why questions other people came home and and they drank I, I don't have permission to use his name and I'm not going to, I'll just say, absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to I'll yep. say elf. So yeah. elf, elf was the, the Robin Williams of the group. He was, he was happy. He was boisterous. He was very, he would make everyone smile. You, you would see it just in how he handled himself. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he was funny and he told jokes and it, and it made everyone else feel good. Well, we could see that he was drinking a lot. We could see that he was ingesting a lot more, uh, liquid courage, a lot more liquid thought mm -hmm. into it. And we could mm -hmm. tell him, Hey bud, you, you need to stop. You need to, you need to slow mm -hmm. down. And he would, he would listen to us. Everything would become better. He would go away. Uh, later he would, uh, move PCS is what we call it. Permanent change of station to another location. And there he didn't, people didn't know him like that and didn't know when mm -hmm. to tell him to stop, you know, whatnot. And he came home, he was living just, uh, just North of Austin. And, uh, I had, I was going through what's called MTIS, which is military training instructor school. It's where you're learning mm -hmm. to be a drill instructor. So you're like more, you know, you're becoming this newer person and you get your hat, right? It's the, the hat ceremony is the, the big deal. The big, the big brimmed hat that you have that, yep. You know, you yep. usually scares people. Um, <laughs> uh, so he was home in Austin 
And I was like, Hey man, you got to come down for my, for my graduation. He's like, well, I don't have but one uniform and I said, no, it's fine. I just, I want you there. And so he didn't come and I was kind of like, well, I was kind of bummed. You know, I saved a seat for him on the side and, and then, uh, my friend came to me and he said, Hey man, did you hear about elf? Oh, and I was man. like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, he was supposed to be here today. And he's like, well, he, uh, he, he put a, he, he put his dad's gun underneath his chin. Oh, and, um, geez. so what I ended up doing for my, my first time ever wearing, wearing my hat, the, the thing that, that I had worked so hard for, mm -hmm. hmm, there it is. Yeah. The thing I had worked so hard for. And the mm -hmm. first thing I did as an official duty was go to his funeral. Yeah. And that, that was, that was hard because he had been hanging around with people from high school. He had changed so much in the six years up to this point, right? He had changed so much and he handled things differently, but he went home to a place where he, it was, it's supposed to be home. Right. Right. And he couldn't handle it. He couldn't deal with it. He was with people that had known him differently and hadn't changed yeah. with them. They were still the hometown crowd. And they're probably still drinking and doing the things that they did back in high school, you know? Exactly. Um, that's a tough story. And I have to think that there's so many like that. Um, I think I saw a stat the other day that there's 800 Americans a day that overdose, suicide, or alcoholism die from a day. So your story about Elf, imagine 799 Americans, you know, just since we did this podcast, I don't know how many that the math would be in an hour, but that's a lot of Americans that, that died that again, contributes to the misery, the pain, the suffering that we have as a country. Um, and then the collateral damage, I mean, you got choked up there, you know, imagine his, you know, spouse or kids and his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters. And, you know, it just, it, it goes on and on and on until the cycle gets, until we can break this cycle. And it's like, it's like a fifth generation alcoholic in a family. It's like, well, the sixth generation is coming, this, unless somebody stops, mm -hmm. unless somebody just draws a line. And that's kind of where we are with mental health today is that somebody's got to draw the line. Somebody, and that's what you're doing in your podcast. It's what I'm trying to do. It's like um, a good friend of mine, her name's Jennifer Tracy. She's a very, and you should you should hook up with her. Matter of fact, you should get her on, her, on your show. Um, she's on LinkedIn. She's awesome. Her husband and her daughter were killed in a car crash, um, a car accident um, by a drunk driver. Mm. And Jennifer's written a book and she's just an unbelievable human being. She's actually forgave the gentleman uh, publicly, which is just amazing in, in forgiveness, mm -hmm. which is another great quality as a human being you have to have because anger and, and guilt and, and revenge are just toxic mm -hmm. emotions. But, but she, she has a, a kind of a side um, element to her story where she promotes and does a lot of work with first responders and, and fire and, and people like that. Because you never think about the person that shows up on the triple homicide murder scene with three, you know, or two children in a bathtub and then the mom with their, you know, you know, someone shot her. And you don't think about that person that showed up there and they have to go home with their wife and their kids. It's like the prison guard, you know, goes home after a day at work. And, 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 you know, we just kind of as a society just assume that all these men and women that are first responders are just, oh, they're tough. Mm -hmm. they're, they can handle it. Well, you know what? They're not. They're no different than you and me, man. And a lot of time they think that they can handle it themselves, too. A couple of right. couple episodes ago, I had Lieutenant Craig LeGates on, who's actually a really good personal friend of mine. He is up in Dorchester County, South Carolina. 
and mm-hmm. he he has actually gone 20 plus I think almost 28 years in law enforcement between three different agencies where he's been the on-scene commander going up to oh. these to these but there was a stigma again of mental mm-hmm. health that mental health is is bad for people who are in those positions and so right. he has actually been working to change that that train of thought with within the community but he but how he did it is he went out and he got his master's degree in clinical psychology and is actually mm. training as a clinical psychologist right now and he Good he has him. been working and he got embedded into the the county sheriffs he's actually gotten people with mental health uh, background to be able to be on scene to help go through this and to show people right it's all about how we show people right. that we care right well he shows that he cares by actually doing you know health down days or health whatever they are just to be able to help out so now as he transitions out of his active police officer um mm-hmm. life he is actually transitioning into clinical psychology and it's not just the the ones who signed up for the job it's not just the cops but it's the spouses it's the kids of those individuals right because they're yeah. having to deal with that in such a way that they have to they have to see that person come through the door. Uh, he actually gave a really good poignant deal to this. He said, you know, the, the greatest sound to my wife is Velcro. Hmm. I said, what do, you, what do you mean by Velcro? He said, because when I get home and you hear the rip of the Velcro, oh. it means I'm home. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome uh, way to look at it. You know... When I was researching for my book, I did a, not a chapter, but I did some, in some research on, um, PTSD and obviously that's, you know, just goes with the territory for men and women of the service. Uh, but it's not just inclusive to that. It could be, you know, police, fire, uh, anybody that's involved in it. And it could be just someone who was say sexually molested as a child mm-hmm. or something where, where, where it doesn't, I guess nobody owns that word, um, it, or the words it, 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 it's very, um, uh, a lot of people had PTSD that weren't in the service, but when I was doing my research, I came across something called post-traumatic growth. And I wasn't sure if you're familiar with that phrase. And actually I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I think it's Robert Tedeschi and it was either the seventies or eighties, but he came up with this term called post-traumatic growth. And I really think it would be valuable for you to research it for what you're doing with resiliency because what, what I remember about post-traumatic growth is that basically you have people who are resilient. Okay. Uh, maybe that's you and me, we have things happen. We tend to just stay, stay above it. We have things happen. So, but post-traumatic growth is for that person who has an event and then suffers, has an event, suffers and, and really can't get past the hump, but then something happens and they see it as an opportunity and, and then they grow from it. And so he studied this and, and it's actually, there's another, uh, a gentleman that I really like, uh, his name's Scott Barry Kaufman and he does the psychology podcast. Super. I follow him on Twitter. He, he's another podcast I'd recommend following. And he actually had him on his show, uh, mm. Robert Tedeschi. And they talked about post-traumatic growth. Um, S- Scott has a book called transcendence, which is an awesome book. And, um, but this idea of post-traumatic growth is just like under the rug. It's like, Nobody knows about it. I'm like, okay, if we're going to, you know, talk about PTSD, that that's, that's fine. It's it's an issue, but let's talk about some of the solutions. Mm -hmm. And if post-traumatic growth has been out there for 30 years, 
why isn't anyone talking about it? Yeah, I, you know? I've never heard and of so, it. And it's not a pill. It's not like a workout regime or a diet. It's just a, it, it, it's, it's, it's out there available for everybody. And it's a way of just looking at you know, trauma and, and grief or whatever you're going through as a growth opportunity, kind of like Viktor Frankl talked about in, in the book, Man's Search for Meaning, you know, suffering is my opportunity. And we talked about this when I was on your show is like, that's the only way you can look at these things. You really can't look at, at, at the victim mindset, whereas suffering is a reason for me to fail mm -hmm. and being in the service, you embody that. I mean, you, you guys and gals, you know, you men and women in the service are, are taught that on your first day, you know, rise above, be resilient, mm -hmm. be undeterred, you know, but I think as the average person out there that doesn't have that kind of training that you have post-traumatic growth is available for all of us. It's out there. And I think as a podcaster, you and I need to do a better job talking about these things to people. So they just know that, Hey, if PTSD is out there, well, what's so is post-traumatic growth? What's the alternative? Right. And, right. and you put it great when you say, I, I choose to be better, not bitter. Right. And in the same way, that's what the, so it's actually funny that you say that. So anytime that I'm on, I always have my, my notepad, right? I've got my notebook ready to go so I can I got mine. I got mine going too. <laughs> just so I can, cause I have to write it down. I learning is how we get better. So the only way that I can, right. you know, you, you asked about my leadership. Well, my leadership style is, is simple. I, I have to grow in how I can handle things. I can't look at somebody and say, I know what you've been through. I can't say that to every mm -hmm. single person that I meet because I have mm -hmm. not been through everything. So I can't say I know where you are. What I can say, however, is I know where you are and I want to help. But how can I do that? If I myself haven't been through I love it, that. I love that because I, I, um, I saw someone, maybe it was Matthew McConaughey was talking about mm -hmm. this and one of his, I like his podcast. He, he's pretty good on, on talking about deep philosophical things. And he was talking about how, like when, when somebody dies and everyone's like, oh, you know, or, or maybe something happens traumatic and you're like, well, you know, I, I understand what you're going through. I, I, I feel sorry for you, you know, and then they just kind of move on. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, I think a wise person would say, I understand what you're going through. How can I help? Exactly. I mean, that's how, if you really want to really want to start helping the mental health numbers get, get more favorable and improve people's lives. Don't just like and comment and paste and post and all these things on social media, actually reach out to the person and say, Hey, you know what? Certainly I feel terrible that your son died or your wife died or your husband or your dog or your cat or your mom or dad. How can I help? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to set up a GoFundMe? Do you want me to go to the store to you? Do you want me to help you pay your bills? You I mean, how can I actually do something actionable? to improve your life instead of just patting you back saying, Oh, Nathan, I'm sorry this happened. Good luck. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what I've started to do with my subordinates is I don't is, is when they come in and they look like they're ready to talk, like they want to talk to me about something. I look at them and I go, okay, first off, do you want me to listen to respond or do you want me to listen to listen? I like Because that. there's a huge difference between the two. And I've learned that each, each of my, different, uh, I'll just call them lack of a better term employees. When they come yeah, to me to, yeah. to talk, they're coming to me with something. And I, and I've learned that each of them is going to come to me with something different. Mm -hmm. And, and so now do you need me? And, and now for the mental well being, this is a huge thing. Do you want me to listen to respond? Cause sometimes people just need you to listen just, sure. just to hear, 
not not yep. not that they need you to understand what they're going through, but right. just that somebody else can be there to carry that burden. Right. And that's what they're looking well, for. I know you like I know you like to write. What do you think about journaling? What do you think about journaling for mental health? Absolutely. A- absolutely. And and this is a huge thing for me. Um I I actually started really so before I used to journal, just as I went through uh, my daily Bible study, it was a way of, of mm-hmm. being able to connect it. It's soap. It's scripture, observation, application, and prayer. How do I how do I do those? You know, each and every each and every day. But now, whenever mm-hmm. I do it, if a thought comes to my mind, I write it down, hmm. and then then I leave some space. Because I want to follow up on that. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to be in the moment right then and there and just be be writing it fully down. I want to right. be able to contemplate. I'm a thinker. I'm going to think it out. Mm-hmm. So for right. me, my mental health has been so much better because of journaling. I can sit there. I can write it down, and I can put everything that I want to tell somebody, everything I want to throw at somebody, everything I want to be angry about, and I can put it on paper. And it's as if I'm saying it to that person, but it, it's it's my release. I don't have to hold it in. I think where we get hung up is that we we some people like to hold on to it, and that that anger yeah, and yeah. that that pain just starts to to build. Right. But if you if you write it down, it, it it opens up a world, and and then later on, it it also becomes a reflective thing because now I can go back to when I was having a bad day, and mm. and okay, now I can. I can see that that's actually a bad day. What I'm going through today is not bad. Uh, General Gronsky, right. General Gronsky, I uh, I just recorded with him a couple of days ago. A major general, U.S. Army, retired, uh, almost 40 years of service. Wow. And he told that's me awesome. every single day that he got up, he has a three by five index card, and he writes three things that he is grateful for. He doesn't even care if it's something small like my eggs tasted great this morning or sure, or as yeah. great as yeah. we didn't lose another person today. Right. Something that he yeah. was grateful for and he puts it into a jar down in the kitchen after he's done writing it. And it's his way of mm. being able to look at it and go, even in the small things, you have to be grateful. I love that. I mean, I know a good friend of mine uh, is out kind of marketing what's called a gratitude journal. Mm. Um, and he's a motivational speaker guy and he's so this journaling thing is becoming more mainstream. Uh, for me, I don't keep a journal, but I write a lot. So it's kind of like my own, you know, journal, uh, there's no really structure to it. And I, I see when I write, I typically don't go back to the notes. It's for me, the writing is more of, I think you can visually see Mm -hmm. something, you can hear something and you can see something, you know, or, um, you can hear someone talking. So it's like, if I can write, listen and see, I got a better chance of retaining it. So if you tell me something I'm hearing and I'm seeing you say it, but if I write it down, those are three like implant implants or imprints I'm having of this thought. And I may not remember all of them, but I have a better chance of recalling valuable, uh, ideas and comments people say if I write it down. Mm -hmm. So the journal thing, more and more guests I'm having on my show are, you know, telling me that they think journaling is very important. Now I meditate. Um, I don't know if, if that's something you practice. I know meditation. The nice thing about meditation is it's, it's, you know, secular, I guess it's not attributed to any, uh, you could be fully Catholic or you could be the, an atheist mm-hmm. and you could still meditate successfully. 
because all you're doing is just being aware of thoughts. You're not even, you're not, I think people think with meditation, you're trying to control your thoughts. It's just the complete opposite of that. Hmm. Uh, and so I don't know if you've ever meditated, but for me, I just started about well, right after Seth died, my, I just couldn't shut my brain off. It just was going and going and going. And I'd go to bed at night and I would just, I'd replay things over and over. And, and I was drinking at the same time. And I thought, okay, I need to, I need to f- figure out a way to compartmentalize some of this stuff. And I got into an app, a guy I listened to on a podcast, got his app on my phone. And now it's ever, like 10 minutes. I get up in the morning and a lot of times nothing happens, Nathan. It's just like I sit there and think and my mind. I'm, but the key is that it's non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, oh, that's a crappy meditation session. I just, okay, that was it. You know, sometimes I have amazing. There was one time I was meditating in um, Rotan. I think it was. My son and I were scuba diving. We're certified divers, which is hmm. a huge coping mechanism for me. And I went up on these rocks like you see in the movies. And I kind of sat there and got my phone out and set it up. And I just crossed my arms and I just sat there on these rocks. And the people in our dive team were on the shore watching me. And I wasn't doing it to show off. I actually thought I was around the corner far enough to have some privacy. Well, I decided I was going to do a 20 minute meditation, which for attention deficit, Jeff, that's hard <laughs> to do. And 10 is sometimes hard. And I'm sitting there meditating, meditating, and I'm really in this great session. I mean, the equivalent of a religious experience. I mean, I'm transcending some, it was amazing. And I wake up and I'm, I'm sopping wet and freezing cold. Hmm. So what had happened was, was a, a shower came through like a two minute little rainstorm. I didn't feel it. Um, hmm. I, I, and, and I got back to the shore and everyone's like, didn't you see that little, sh-? cause it wasn't a storm. It was, it was just a shower came through like you have down in you know the tropics. And they're like, you didn't, I said, no, I, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. Now I've meditated for three years. I've only had like four times ever that that's happened where I can literally say I was like an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. It was very spiritual for me, very spiritual. So again, I just, I I throw that out there for people that are looking at, at maybe adding another arrow to the quiver. Uh, I would suggest meditation because you can make of it what you want of it. And it's, it's the fact that, you know, if you're, if you're a strong man of faith, then maybe your meditation is your thought, you're mm-hmm. being aware of your thoughts of, you know, talking to, to, to God or to whomever, whoever you worship. Um, I don't know. It's, I'm just trying to, so in, in my trying way, to get people to be more control or more, more aware of their mind because the mind causes the majority of the mental health problems in this, in this for humans. Mm-hmm. And in it's in those quiet moments sometimes that, the, the, the voice you have to discern of, of who it is that's mm. trying to talk to you at the same time. Right. And so in, in my life in yeah. meditation, my meditation is when I meditate on the word and that's, that's mm. my version of it because now I can think and I can comprehend and I can put into action where those, where I'm suffering at. Uh, mm-hmm. see the good thing about, about scripture when, when I read it is that mm-hmm. I could read it one way you're going to read it a completely separate way because we're going through two different things in that moment right. in in that day right. so we're going to read it two different ways it's it 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 evolves with how we are and what we are going through in those moments uh, it was almost written left to be interpreted differently but, right mm-hmm. um you know and um that's i guess one of the beauties and and the mysticism with with uh, the bible itself is that everyone can read it and really have a whole different set of um uh, you know, um, 
how it affects them so differently, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everyone can be right. You know, um, I have not actually, I, I, I read the Bible a number of times in high school and college, just in those normal years where I was kind of searching for meaning. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I do remember many aspects of it that were very, uh, interesting and a lot of parallels to my own life at the time. And I think that's one of the, the nice things about it is you can pretty much go to it any time in your life and you can find something in there. Uh, a lot of it may not apply to you at all, mm-hmm. but you're going to find something in there, you know? And again, for me, just as, as a, I hate, I hate, I don't like the word agnostic because I think that people just assume that I'm, I'm a non-believer. Mm-hmm. I'm, here's what I believe. And, and I told you this on your show, I believe in being a good human. Uh, I believe in my fellow man. I believe in humanity. I, I believe in, I, I believe my dog has feelings and can understand when I cry that I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, I believe in just doing the right thing at the, you know, helping people. So whatever box that fits in, I, I, that's where I struggle with because you know, I, I'm not religious, but I'm not an atheist. It's like, I'm just still, I'm still curious on a lot of things. I'm open. Let's say I'm open-minded. Mm-hmm. If the evidence showed up in my life, then I would certainly jump on it. But I just at 56, I've just never really had any evidence prevented presented to me. So I'm still open to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, um, most of my friends I would say are, are, uh, I don't want to say religious people, but they're probably more Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, that's one part of my life that I really can say, I just haven't really found anything yet. Uh, I know where I stand on most things politically. I know where I stand on a lot of things, but when it comes to that, I just, I just don't know. And I've always been kind of comfortable, Nathan. I've been okay with not knowing, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to explain, you know? And, and I think you explain it quite well. I, I, I really do. But that's, that's why I have started this journey of looking at it. Like, what does it look like to people? Because it mm-hmm. is different. And, and I think that people question it so much that, mm-hmm. that we tell people you need to have a strong pillar for spirituality, but we don't tell them what it looks like. We don't, we don't, right. we don't paint a good picture of it, you know, because it I, is. I do have a strong pillar. I just can't explain it to people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I don't, I just can't explain it. It's say like people ask me all the time and I, I've actually been, I think on some podcasts that I didn't, I didn't uh, get asked to come on because they were worried I was going to be out there with some agendas. I'm not smart enough to know what agenda I I'm even trying to promote. I'm not, mm-hmm. I just. I like people. I, I like to talk. I like to solve problems. I like to learn. Um, and you're, you're in the same boat, um, or you wouldn't be doing podcasting. I mean, podcasting shows that you are willing to have a, a wide variety, a variety of people on to engage in conversation and to learn. And so you can finish the podcast, go on to the next guest and something from our conversation will have resonated with you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the beauty of, of engagement. And that's why I really think going back to mental health, I'm kind of really hung up on that. Mm -hmm. I think, I think engagement conversation and vulnerability, those are kind of the three, the three tenets of, of trying to fix this issue with mental health. And the problem is so many people just keep things in so internalized and men, men are really, you know, you, you got choked up today a little bit. I I cried on your Mm -hmm. show. You know, I think that's what men need to do more. We need to do more crying. Uh, and sometimes it's in front of people. Sometimes it's our ourselves, but I'm a crier and I think you are too. I'll tell you right um, now, if I had said his actual name, 
I, I have never gotten through a class. So right now I'm the, the commandant for Airman Leadership School. I have never mm. made it through a class without crying in front of my students. And I have 38 of them in the military. Every single class, mm. seven different classes a, a year, 38 students each one. And I have never made it through without crying just because when that's I... That's such a strength, Nathan. When that's I say his name, strength, man. that's where the power yeah. was at. But, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you, Jeff. Like just the way that you have taken and transitioned bitterness, betterment, you know, how you, how you have mm -hmm. navigated through some of, some of life's most horrible things that you, you don't want to experience. And we recently within the last two years have adopted our son. Yeah. Uh, to tell us about that a little man, bit. I, I remember guy. sharing that. This, yeah. this guy, now he's, he's 13, right? He, he is 13. He'll be 14 in a couple of actually in about two weeks from now, he'll be 14. Um, but he came to us. Tell us how that, tell us how that went down. I, that's an interesting story. Wow. Okay. So we went through the pandemic. Uh, we started this yep. at the very beginning of, of the pandemic and we thought, well, crap, now we're in this, this rock in a hard place where we've got a kid that we, <laughs> we love that we want to hang out with, but he's, you know, hour and a half, two hours away. And the military is telling me you can't travel. You cannot go get him and do anything. So we went a few weeks and ended up from from the point in time that we said we wanted him, like we knew he was our son, to the point mm -hmm. in time that they we we finalized everything in the court. We did everything virtually with the court, which was really kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, it was eight months. It, it was eight months. It, it didn't even stop. It didn't deter us at all. Right. It, we we went through the full process. Deterred man. I wanted to wrap it in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and so, so he, um, so he came to live with us and, and it's been a two year battle because of what he went through mentally, what he went through emotionally. They had him, uh, you know, you had talked about Adderall and stuff with, with, with yeah. your son. And it was yep. the same thing for, for Stan, when he came to live with us, they had him on Adderall. And that first time that he was with us, he was only supposed to stay for three days. And so he had enough mm -hmm. medicine for those three days. Well, then the pandemic hit. And he stayed with us oh, an additional man. week. So we had him for 10, didn't have 10 days. Didn't have it. It went one and a half days of having bad, you know, bad side effects of coming off of it. And then after Isn't that crazy. And after that day and a half, let me tell you, Jeff, I don't know why they were trying to hide this kid. Like, I, yeah, I exactly. don't know why they were trying to hide him because he is such a brilliantly smart kid. Yeah. He's, he's way behind in school. He's, he's caught up yeah. a whole lot, but it's almost like right. they were trying to hide him. And so we took him completely off of Adderall when he came to us. Good for you. We got, we found a different medication that has, has kind of helped yep. some of the, the mental side of, of yeah. some things, you know, as, as we continue to navigate, but we have actually taken right. that from, uh, from one all the way down to 0.25. So we, we've even lowered yeah. that down just simply because they had him on all this stuff that, that was hiding who yeah. he truly was. Well, and for him, it can become almost a placebo. Oh yeah. Um, you, you could probably give him a sugar pill and tell him, Hey, this is your Adderall. And, and he's, he probably now would probably not even know that his body wouldn't know the difference. Probably not. Uh, and again, I'm not a doctor. I can't, I can't speak on that, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you and I certainly aren't advocating for people to cut their medicines off their kids, but certainly talk to your physician, but I, I'm in the same way. If there's one regret I have that I have to take to my grave, I did a really bad job as a dad understanding what Adderall was. Well, I was too busy, but too busy. But you were life. told, here's what it is. Here's what right. it does. that's what you were right. told. And that's what you, you knew now, now yeah. that we're where we are, we, you know, my, right. my, my wife's a nurse. She understands that stuff a lot better than, right. than even I would. 
but we mm-hmm. we just knew that there was something different and whenever we saw him off that meds for whatever you know because we weren't able to get him to his medication and we saw the transition it was like oh my gosh oh who is this child mm-hmm. but then when we saw who he was in his personality it was like okay and so since then we have we have dealt with some stuff where he would try to go to sleep and he wants mm-hmm. his night medicine and and mm-hmm. he comes from a family of addiction um, mm-hmm. and so he, he screams out, I, I want my medicine. I want my night. And we won't mm-hmm. give it to him at that point. Like we were like, no, you can stay mm-hmm. up all night. We're going to stay with you, but you're not going to get wow. it because you have to wow. fight through those times because addiction is that bad. Yeah. And even in him as a 13 year old child, sometimes, you know, mentally he goes back to six year old. Right. Yeah. But to get him through that, we have to be right there with him and stand firm with him and say, no, you do. you're not going to get it. And that's what keeps me going. You can, you know, with addiction, there's so much enabling. And I go back to um, my son and my wife where I can recall times where, especially with my wife, because I drank with her, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was battling her alcoholism or, you know, the first year after Seth died, we both drank heavily. So I was enabling. And then, and then with my son, you know, I would give him money, you know, I bought him, I got him a car, Um, you know, but what parent doesn't do that? I mean, at this, I listen to people like on these talk shows and they'll say, well, you can't enable your, and I'm like, you know what? It's hard. What you tell me what the difference mm-hmm. is between giving my son a shirt on his back and a and hundred dollar bill when he's heading off down to the street to, to, to go live somewhere. Cause I won't let him live in my house. Uh, or I let him in my house cause I love him. And then that goes South. I, I let him out and he's on his own and he dies. So you, you tell me what, what's mm-hmm. the right thing. It's like, there's no textbook out there. And, and I can see where enabling is just part of being a good parent. But again, I can see where enabling is, uh, the, the reason why the child never gets better. Well, and you asked, what can we do better? Right. You said, what can we right. do to combat mental health? Well, you know, what we can do mm-hmm. is realize that people aren't cookie cutter, that, that, right. that your situation is no different than mine. Uh, right. you know, I used to, I used to pray to God, like, give me a, I want a testimony. I want a testimony. I've never been through anything in my life. I want to be a testimony. Well, here we are, mm-hmm. you know, 40 some odd years later and I have my son and I'm a part of his testimony. Right. So, so it, it prepared us for that moment. So what we need to understand is not everybody is the same. We can't handle every situation the same. And guess what? I don't need your advice on how to handle my son because you don't know what he's been through. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, and I think, uh, when I look back and kind of, uh, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight in all of our lives, we can go back and we can, you know, kind of relive, which again, can be a really bad thing to do as well, because especially if it's painful, we don't want to go back very often. Mm-hmm. And, but when I go back and look at how things went down, first of all, Nathan, it happened so fast yet it felt like a hundred years. Mm-hmm. I mean, my son's addiction journey was from 15 and 16 to when he died at 23. And and now we're going on six years that he's been gone. And to think that he'd be 28 now and he has a five-year-old daughter, that's just, that's, that's just unfathomable. I can't wrap my hands around that sometimes. Now with my wife, a little bit different scenario. She's, she was 46 when she passed, married 21 years. But the same thing, it's like, I look back and I think, how did this happen on my watch? Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, I'm the man of the house. I'm not trying to be sexist here, but it's like, you know, I, I'm the man of the house. I grew up in a house where my dad was a doctor. 
my mom was valedictorian, magnum cum laude in college. I mean, and she decided to stay in and raise four boys. So she basically became a housewife. Very easily could have went out and conquered the world and in, in being a tremendous, you know, whatever she was going to be. But she wanted to be a mom. That was, that was what my mom wanted to be. I grew up in that environment. So when I got married, my wife didn't really want to work at that time. She wanted to stay in and raise the boys. So, you know, that's kind of the, the world that I grew in. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I, I struggle with some things when I look, when I go back and look at what I could have done differently with both those people in my life. But the reality is here I am today. Uh, I've got two other boys, you know, and I got my dad still here. My mom passed away in November and uh, I'm doing the best that I can with the cards I've been dealt. And I think your followers and people that are jumping on your, you know, listening to what you're doing now as a new, new host of a podcast, um, you know, I think they're looking for hope and inspiration. That's what, that's really what you and I are trying to do is give people, um, give people some hope and, and not try to, I've always said there's two ways to change behavior. You can scare people or you can inspire them, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we've been scared enough. I mean, we're scared with the elections. We're scared with everything. COVID, you know, we're scared of everything. And it's like, now it's a time of, we, we got to put fear in a box and we got to start talking about the good things that people can do and the positive stories and focus on that each day. Like your, uh, the general, you said, wrote those three things down. I love that idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a simple, free thing you could do. And I, I was thinking to myself, I'd almost do that at night for me. Mm. You know, like when I get, when I go to bed at night, have a, a notebook, a, note, a little uh, note card by my bed, three things, had a great conversation with Nathan, met a brand new individual to be on a podcast, um, told my son, I loved him five times today, you know, called my dad out of the blue for no reason, not because of anything, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe put 10 gratitudes down. And uh, I think that that's a powerful thing that I'm taking away from our conversation today is the journaling. I, uh, I think that's something I, um, I certainly need to be putting into my life, um, a little bit better. Absolutely. And it's Jeff, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud. Like I, I already said this once, I'm, I'm really proud at what you're doing to, to get through what must've been the worst time of your life to go through losing Seth and then uh, Prudence like shortly thereafter. It just, mm -hmm. it, it can't be, but you're, you're taking it. And now with the tour that you're, you're going to be going on here soon mm -hmm. is, is just a part of that healing process because you want to bring people along with you in that healing process. So the fact that you're going to different cities and establishing yeah. and bringing somebody from that city that's been through that and letting them mm -hmm. tell their story to their community, it puts the focus on the issue and not on the person. Yeah. And I think it's so easy for us to think we're in a canoe, you know, fighting upstream with our own personal demons and, and our own battles. When in reality, we're in this massive boat together, paddling together mm -hmm. in the same direction. We're trying to improve our mental, mental health. We're trying to improve the quality of our life, our relationships, our health, everything we're trying. We're all, we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Nobody's trying to achieve something different. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to, you know, every, literally if I wrote down the five things I want to have in my life, they're going to be almost the same five things you have mm -hmm. in, in any country, any, any, any socioeconomic background, any race. I mean, we all, we all want to be happy. We all want to be 
free freedom. We all want to have free freedom of to live in a society where we can pretty much do what we want to do. Um, you know, we want to be healthy, you know, and we want to, we want to have enough financial resources where we can do what we want to do mm -hmm. and give away money as well. Be philanthropic. You know, there's a lot to do about, but I think you and I, if we wrote down five things, I mean, we're going to have pretty much the same thing. And guess what? I'm going to do some things that are going to fail for me, but you know what? They may, yeah. they may work for you. And, right. and what you may have done that failed for you may work for me, but right. you know how we, how we change that? We have the conversation talking. Yeah. It, that, it's so and that's simple. where I just don't watch the news anymore. I, I think it's been two years that I've watched any, like say Fox, CNN, NBN. I have enough people in my life that if there was a meteor coming to, to Iowa, people would be texting me, Hey dude, get out of Iowa. And I'm like, what? I got to turn on the news. You know, the world's coming to an end. I, I, I'm not worried about that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like I'm missing out. What am I missing out of? Some, somebody telling it from someone their tell me what I'm missing. Yeah. I, I don't really care what politicians are arguing about today. I don't really care about that. Yeah. And, and I just don't. And people can say, well, Jeff, you're, you know, you're missing out. You're less informed. Yeah. But I'm happy. Yeah. But any more, any of that <laughs> is not so much what you believe, but what you're against. So I, I don't yeah, care what right. you're against. Good point. Good point. Cause you're against so much, you're tuning out anybody else's opinion anyway. And I, I just don't, I feel sorry for the person that watches three hours of TV and all it is, is just interviewing people on topics that are controversial and everyone's arguing. I'm like, God, I'd rather <laughs> talk to Nathan for an hour on a podcast, you know, absolutely. Uh, this is just much more enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. Um, well, listen, uh, this has been great, man. I really enjoyed it. I'd certainly want to get you back on the show, uh, down the road and follow up and see how you're doing with your show. Absolutely. Um, how can people reach you? Uh, I'm going to have links to all, all the, uh, places where people can hear your podcast. Um, talk a little bit about your podcast, you know, where, where, where can people get it? Um, and then how can people reach out to you if they have, if they have questions? Well, thank you for the opportunity. So it is, you can go to any major platform, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, I podcast, just pretty much Stitcher, any of them and look up the wartime leadership podcast. Uh, the wartime leadership podcast. And if you add .com at the end, it'll actually take you to the website where you can see all the different episodes. If you, if you are interested in being a guest, there's a guest intake link on there. Just click on that, put in your information. We'll get in contact with you. Uh, I've got a great guy, Jeff, who I have known for almost 20 years that he actually is helping me out with the podcast as the producer, uh, kind of bringing mm -hmm. up, bringing me along, but the podcast is just that it's, it's a conversation. It's, it's time that we have good conversations to help people out, to be able to understand what spiritual resiliency looks like and to define it in our own individual personal senses. And of course, with it being a leadership podcast as well, we look at different leadership styles and how they have developed within individuals as they've gone through different stages of their lives. So if you want to reach me, Nathan Coy, N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-Y at wartime-leadership.com. Spiritual resiliency and living undeterred. Those are brothers. You know, they're, they're compatible. Uh, there, there's so much, uh, that can come from, uh, those terms, you know, the goodwill that can come from that and people that whatever you're battling, whatever you're trying to fight through, 
you know, living undeterred, spiritual resiliency, mental, mental toughness, all these phrases are used. And, um, again, thank you very much for being on the show. And, uh, I know our paths will cross, uh, hopefully on the tour, uh, I can have an opportunity to meet you out there and maybe do a quick interview. We're doing so many live events on the tour. I'm having the RV wrapped as we speak. Um, it's going to be pretty oh, cool. I saw I mean, the tour. The tour looked really nice inside. <laughs> I'm telling you, I would say the RV may be a little bit in your face, <laughs> but I'm not like, I, you know, I'm not like we're out pushing. The only thing, the only narrative we have is improving mental health. Mm -hmm. So I don't mind being in people's face on that. Um, but, uh, we're excited and I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you on the tour, but again, thanks for being on the show. It's been an honor to know you in a short amount of time. And, um, again, I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this, keep living undeterred. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much.